We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Yankee Stadium. This is a fantastic story, fellas. Two Yankees playing in the house that Ruth built, both going after his record. It's great for baseball. Thomas Jane, Barry Pepper. 61. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Quick housekeeping before we get into today's episode. Big shout out to new listeners who've hopped on the board recently to some of the latest slate on this show. Had a great conversation about Letterboxd and some movie reviews with my buddy John Duda last week. Uh, last month, talked to everybody once some. Happy Gilmore and the Tom Amansky commercials. A real banger of the month uh, on April on this show, if I do say so myself. Really enjoyed those episodes. Hope you all did too. Uh, remember, if this is your first episode of Big Screen Sports, subscribe wherever you get your podcast available everywhere. Leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you're pleased with the show. Those do help the show grow. Those are always appreciated. And dive deep into the evergreen catalog of this podcast. Got 100-plus episodes talking about your favorite and least favorite sports movies. Uh, and tune into new episodes, which come at you every single Monday. For more info on upcoming episodes, you can join the Big Screen Sports Facebook group, or you can just tweet at me, at Kyle Banduho. Now, one of those previous very evergreen episodes was last year during Oscars month. I talked about a movie that was a 10-time nominee at the 1943 Oscars, Pride of the Yankees. And uh, today, returning to big screen sports to talk about a movie that is is much better than Pride of the Yankees, frankly. Uh, Sorry to tell you, Pride of the Yankees stands out there. He is the co-host of the Best Yankees podcast in the business Bronx Pinstripes, Andrew Rotani. Andrew, thank you so much for turning to Big Screen Sports. Of course, Kyle. Thanks for having me back. Wow. If you had told me that we did that movie a year ago, I would have said, no, you're lying. That was three years ago because that was right before the COVID shutdown, which feels like years ago, not just Episode one year dropped ago. like three weeks before Rudy Gobert was touching mics. My God. I like. I honestly would have said we did that in 2018. <laughs> that's that's how, how it feels. That's how it feels. But that's yeah, I'm happy feels. we're here to talk about 61 because uh, as 
as I guess important of a film as Pride of the Yankees was, 61 is just downright more fun to watch. So much better. So much better. Such a fun rewatch. Before we get into it, tell the folks what you've been up to at Bronx Pinstripes now that we have real baseball. We have yeah. a real baseball season with fans. Yeah, it's uh, it's we've got our we we're actually we changed things up a little bit this year. We normally we're doing two two episodes a week, our traditional hour plus episodes. Now we're kind of breaking it up a little bit. Scott and I have the ability to just hop on the mic when we when we please to uh to rant rant about a topic like. The other night, Aaron Boone decided not to challenge a play. I guess he was, it was the eighth inning. He decided not to challenge a play at the plate. I guess he was saving it for, you know, something more important like the ninth inning. Um, you know, got to love the manager saving the challenge in baseball. So it was, <laughs> got to holster it. Yeah, it got, it was fun to, uh, he had to check with the video replay first. And, uh, so we, uh, we decided to just hop on and rag on Aaron Boone for a while. So, yeah, we got our good stuff. If you're a Yankees fan, check us out. Even if you're a baseball fan, we, we kind of touch on all, all things baseball. Yeah, I mean, something that you you know, you know know about me is I, I hate the Yankees with the fire of a thousand suns, but you guys do great work. It's always worth <laughs> uh, checking out Bronx Pinstripes. Uh, but you're, you know, because of that Yankees connection, we're here to talk about 61. The 2001 TV movie was made for HBO. Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle raced to break Babe Ruth's single season home run record. Starred Barry Pepper, Thomas Jane, and just a truly incredible cast of, of character actors. The actors that you, almost every actor in this movie, you know from somewhere else. It was directed by diehard Yankees fan Billy Crystal. Got an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Andrew, I'll kick it right to you. Is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie? So I, I was struggling. I want to put this in the Hall of Fame category because I love it so much. But then I was thinking, okay, if you're not a Yankees fan, do you love it as much? So I, I settled on all-star. But I think if you're a, a baseball fan or even a sports fan, you go to this movie, you're going to have fun for two hours. So I think it's firmly an all-star. So I'm actually saying it's a Hall of Fame baseball Damn. movie. This is one of my favorite baseball movies. It's not it's not perfect, um, but I, I come back to it, and I, I think, especially the course of doing this podcast, and I think just in the sports movie genre, you have more baseball and boxing movies, and it seems to just about everything. So there's, there's more to, you know, there's more competing for those Hall of Fame spots, but it's also... It's also kind of evident that when you have something that hits so many good points that it's like, why not put it in the Hall of Fame? So this isn't a, um, you know, this isn't a Jeter. This isn't a Mickey Mantle. This might be like a Phil Rizzuto, you know, getting in on the veterans committee. Yeah, one of those Yankees who gets in the Hall of Fame a lot because, you know, he was a Yankee. But it, it's it's one of the few baseball movies that gets into the psyche of its ball players. Like it is this movie is a mental health drama as much as it is a baseball drama. Like it's a little corny at times, but it's a clear passion project in a really good way. It's it's kind of obvious that this was directed by a, a diehard fan with a dedication to get this right, or at least a dedication to show appreciation to this story. I totally agree with you. That was one of the notes I wrote down is that Billy Crystal directing this is a big reason why it works um, because he knows the details. Obviously, he is a diehard Yankees fan, but he also I, I don't know exactly how old Billy Crystal is, but I'm assuming he was like watching the 1961 home run race or following along with it. Uh, 
going to hope he's that old. I don't really know. But uh, yeah, I guess, no, he was probably a child, huh? Well, he with Crystal, so he was, uh, we'll get into this with the trivia, he was a friend of Mickey Mantle. Uh, he's heavily featured in the Ken Burns baseball documentary talking yeah. about, like, Billy's been going to Yankees games since he was a child, and he's he's getting up there, uh, okay. getting up there so, in years. So he, he's been watching for a while. But what I, so the reason I put it in an all-star is because I wasn't sure if a non-Yankees fan would love it as much as I do. But it sounds like, and you're someone who hates the Yankees with a burning passion, as you said, and you put this in the Hall of Fame. So I'm happy that you can look away from your hatred for the Yankees and recognize the awesomeness that is this movie. So, okay, I guess I'll I'll, I'll up my all-star and just say the, the movie's getting in on the final year of eligibility into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Jim Rice, classic Red Sox. Um, I mean, the thing with with this one is, I can put aside my hatred of the Yankees to for my love of baseball being you know good baseball movie on screen, and then I love a look at retro baseball, baseball that like you or I were too young to to see this era. So I love this look. Now, something the Yankees do not lack for is uh, is getting movies and pop culture made about them. My beloved Minnesota Twins, uh, we had one perfect movie in Little Big League, and then and then we decided that was enough. You know, one one perfect movie is enough. But the Yankees have been, you know, people always talking, always have to talk about the Yankees. Everything always has to be about the Yankees. We've got Pride of the Yankees. We've got Bang the Drum slowly. slowly. We've got the Bronx is Burning. We've got the Scout, which really sucks. We've got all those Seinfeld episodes. Where does this rank in terms of Yankees and in-pop culture? So normally in baseball movies, especially in movies in like the 90s, the Yankees were always the bad team. Rightfully so, yeah. The evil team, not bad, meaning they weren't good. They were the evil team that the good guys had to overcome. That was the case in For Love of the Game, Rookie of the Year, Major League, uh, even Moneyball. Um, So uh, where it ranks in Yankees pop culture, I I, I think it probably ranks two behind Pride of the Yankees. And I think Pride of the Yankees is ahead of it just because of, like, the history of it and Lou Gehrig, even though, as we said, it's not as good of a movie. I don't think either of you will ever, either of us will ever watch that movie again. All I know is Joe Torre curveballs along the way is much lower on the list. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> I have not seen Joe Torre curveballs. <laughs> oh my along God, the way. dude, we might have to, <laughs> uh, it, it's so bad. It was a, I think it was a Showtime movie. Paul Servino oh. is Joe Torre. Oh, oh, from uh, he's um, Paulie from, from Goodfellas. Uh, from Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. I, okay, now I can see in my head. I can see that him as Joe Torre in my head. It is a horrendous movie. Uh, so it's definitely below that. Uh, and uh, as I was doing some research for this, apparently there was a movie called Safe at Home in 1962. Sorry if I'm stepping on your 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 fun facts. I miss Safe at Home. So by all means, go for it. So Safe at Home had Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle stars themselves in it. Oh, it, my God. It was made in 1962. Here's the synopsis. After a young Hutch Lawton moves to Florida with his widowed father, Ken, 
He tells his Little League buddies that his dad knows the Yankees, including Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle, played by themselves. When his new friends demand to prove his friendship exists, Hutch goes to spring training camp to try and convince his idols to come to his Little League banquet. But the baseball stars turn him down, and Hutch decides to tell his friends the truth. That actually, that's a fun, like, hijinks movie if they don't turn him down. I know, I was I like, I don't wait. hate, I actually don't hate that. I was expecting a lot worse with this synopsis. I got plot twisted in the synopsis i was like what they turned him down so i got i gotta check that one out eventually gotta hope the you gotta think the m&m boys cashed in on that one. Oh yeah um no yeah that i i've thought about before doing a dedicating a month of this podcast to just made for tv movies like there's a tiger woods made for tv movie that i think came out like right after he won his first master so seriously very early in the in it yeah never i've never heard of that I, th- I literally think it's just called the Tiger Woods story. Might might have to might have to dive into that, but they have to add a few things to it after these last twenty five years. Probably could use a sequel. Yeah. Uh, a sequel might might do that movie some good. Uh, I want to dive into the IMDb trivia. I just pulled a few things. This is I talk about movies that have good trivia sections. This one has a this is a good one. A lot of it just has to do, and and this bleeds through with the movie with how dialed in Billy Crystal is to the Yankees and and to this story and making this right. Over the years, Billy Crystal became close friends with Mickey Mantle, learned many anecdotes from Mantle's career, which are later referenced in the film. Uh, As a close friend of the family, Billy Crystal was given permission to honestly portray Mantle's drinking and carousing, which which he does. Uh, Many of the moments in the movie of Mantle getting drunk really happen. This includes getting drunk and calling home at 2 a.m. from his hotel room and the scene following the death threats to Roger Maris and his family. Andrew, you're a married man. I'm a married man. If you called your wife at 2 o'clock in the morning, like shit-faced at home while she's home with the kids, what are the repercussions there for a normal person? Well, again, we're not Mickey Mantle, so <laughs> I guess he, he gets to slide. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not allowed to come home ever again, probably. First of all... Oh, no. Yeah, what, no way. The first question is, why the hell are you not home? The second <laughs> question is, how dare you? It's not, it's not even not even a question. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, but hey, you're Mickey Mantle. You can, you can... He basically could do what he wanted in that era. I mean, he could do what he wanted for pretty much his entire life. Um, you know, M- Mickey Mantle was kind of a, a special... And and this movie, I think it's a reason why this movie is so good and, and the story that Crystal is telling, because it's not just like... It's not making excuses for Mickey Mantle, but it's also showing just why Mickey Mantle was was so beloved, is so beloved in in baseball lore. Because like Mickey Mantle, like objectively, wasn't the best guy. I guess I mean there have been much worse guys, but like as as far as a per like he comes off as inherently likable in a movie that he does a lot of very unlikable things. Yeah, Mickey Mantle. Everything written about him is that he was a fantastic teammate. Everyone loved him that was around him, but he certainly was not a good father and husband. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I think that had he done the, if there was a player today of his stature, which there will never be again, because I just don't think in baseball there's ever going to be the kind of superstars that existed even 20 years ago, never mind 60 years ago. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, it, we would know all this. I don't think the public really knew everything that was going on because the media hit it. It was the, it was the media. Like, I don't know how much this movie exaggerates, but like the two main reporters following the the guys throughout the season were like, 
kind of ribbing, uh, ragging on Mantle and Maris, like as if they're buddies. It's like th- these beat reporters today don't get on the field to like do that kind of stuff with these athletes today. They're 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 arm's length away at best. No, and Whitey Ford spends the movie basically like dishing out his entire oh, yeah. yearly salary to keep people quiet about Mickey Mantle's behavior. And like, you got to think Mickey at the beginning of the season's like, okay, here's twenty five grand, just pay everyone off this year that you're going to need to. Yeah, the the TMZ folks would have had a field day with Whitey Ford. <laughs> Absolutely, he, he would have been putting their kids through college. Um, the Yankee Stadium scenes were shot in a redressed Tiger Stadium. This is, I'm pretty sure this is probably right before Tiger Stadium got torn down. I was wondering what they, because I thought the, the shots of the stadium, 99% of them looked fantastic. I only mm-hmm. noticed one that was a mistake. Uh, but I'm also a giant nerd when it comes to Yankee Stadium history. So it, and it was a, the shot in the, in, um, early in the movie when the, president of the Yankees and sitting in the stands and then I forget who comes up and talks to him but they show like a shot of the field and the the grandstands extend basically around the entire field like at Tiger Stadium and that's not how it was at the old Yankee Stadium that Mm -hmm. was like the only mistake I noticed yeah see and that's why I need you on the podcast because I missed that but yeah the the Bronx skyline was CGI'd in and post uh, fun fact that the guy, the Yankees president, again, this is the whole thing about how many character actors they got in this one. And like that guy's, that is the warden from Shawshank. Yes, it's that's always exciting it to see. Yes, warden from Shawshank. Well, uh, if you if you want another thing that, that Billy Crystal missed, and I don't know how he missed this or why he missed this. Maybe he did it on purpose. So Bob Serve, who is played by Chris Bauer, um, the, is basically the third man, the third roommate. He's the funny uh, guy. Yeah, the funny guy in the movie. So he was not on the opening day 1961 Yankees roster. He was playing for the Los Angeles Angels. He got traded to the Yankees on May 8th. So obviously they they did not they did not either have that information or overlooked it for the purposes of the plot to have him there starting from opening day. He was on the Yankees in 1960 and then the Angels selected him in the expansion draft. That's how he got on the Angels and they traded him back to the Yankees in May. Have you ever looked at his baseball reference page? Yeah, that's how I found this information out. <laughs> but it is it is wild. So Bob Serve plays 12 years in the big leagues. He breaks in in 1951 at 26, like after he's after the war, like he served in the war. He's like a platoon guy, a backup, you know, backup type for, you know, just a backup outfielder. And then at age 33 in 1958, he puts up a six-war season, fourth in MVP votes, Hits, I think, yeah, hits 38 home runs, uh, OPS of 963. Uh, the next year, he puts up like a two-war season, and then for the rest of his, his career, he's a part-time player again, never plays over 100 games. It's, it's fucking bonkers. What was the year he put up six-war? Uh, 1958, 6.3 war. I don't know what he was doing, but he was eating those green eggs, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he must. I mean, it's it's crazy when he. It's such an out like an outlier, and he, but he plays in the big leagues until he's thirty seven. Just I don't know, weird weird times the uh, the nineteen fifties nineteen sixties. The last bit of trivia I got is until he had been hired to play Mickey Mantle for this film, Thomas Jane had never played baseball in his life, knew nothing about the game. Uh, and I know one of one of your categories is authenticity of of the the athletes on screen, um, but I mean for never having played in his life, I I don't know. I feel like he pulled it off for the most part. 
for never having played with that caveat, it's not bad. I'll, it, it's yeah. not bad. And then you're like, okay, now you have to impersonate Mickey Mantle. He did some things, and this is also has to be Billy Crystal. He impersonated Mickey Mantle running and taking his helmet off to a T. Those, mo- those might sound like weird things, but Mickey Mantle, when he would take his batting helmet off, wouldn't take it off by the brim. He would scoop it from the back and take it off for whatever reason. And, that's, and they had that in the movie, I noticed. That's got to be Crystal. Oh, it's 100% that Billy gotta Crystal. Be. I mean, and that's why, again, like, you think about, like, Ron Shelton, who directed Bull Durham, uh, you know, Tin Cup, like a sports movie icon. I don't think this movie isn't as good if, if Ron Shelton's behind the helm. It's got to be someone like Crystal with this this diehard with a purpose to tell this story um, Abs- as, as opposed to a paycheck. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to be a psychotic Yankees fan. Or, or a fan of a specific team, if you're making a movie about it, to, to to get those kinds of details right. Because you know he probably had, like, a note in there. Like, it stopped, stopped, stopped the set. It's like, no, 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 no. This is, what, this is how you take the helmet off. Watch this footage. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it comes through. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the parts that makes this movie really good. Um, let's roll into best scene. I do these chronologically. We'll kind of run through. If I miss any of your favorites, stop me. I want to say with kind of a caveat that I, I don't have any one of these in particular as best scene. But, like, I love every scene with Bob, Mickey, and Roger in the apartment. It's like the scene they move him in and watch Andy Griffith. And Mickey's like, what the, you know, what the hell did I get into? Uh, the scene with the eggs, the one where Roger finds the article about signing the X on the ball while Bob is clipping his toes over Mickey's food. I love, like, I love every scene in that apartment. It's not the best scene in the film, but they're all really, really good. Yeah, the the trio of those guys, the chemistry on screen is definitely, I think, what sets the movie puts the movie over the edge of just being good to being great because it's fun it's when those three guys are on screen it's a fun it's a fun hang i would watch a an eight episode 30 minute episodes netflix series of bob bob mickey and roger hanging out in their apartment i'd be into that their apartment in queens it's just amazing (laughs) to think about it's like they're in some like nice but not like luxurious walk-up apartment in queens and they're freaking roger maris and mickey mantle I know, and I've got something on that later as far as the authenticity of that. Okay, cool. Um, so my, the first thing, I love the opening day scene. It does a really good job of, of setting kind of the status on the ground of writers discussing this potential rivalry. You hear about Maris was the newcomer who won the MVP. Discusses a lot of the lore about Mickey Mantle, so it kind of it gets non-diehard baseball fans kind of up to speed because even like casual even just casual people know who Mickey Mantle is, but it kind of, it brings up the lore around it, the off, you know, the injuries, the off the field stuff, but how beloved he is, how incredible he is. Um, I, I love Thomas Jane as Mickey Mantle right off the bat. And then you get Bob Shepard's voice in the MVP presentation, which is nice. Oh yeah. It's it still, I get chills whenever I hear Bob Shepard's voice. I had that scene written down as well. Do you know what's a, a thing they did in the movie that tells you that that lets the audience know about the lore of mickey mantle it's that when he came up for batting practice they made a point to be like oh mickey's up stop and watch it's like oh this guy's different than the rest of us hey mick mick you're in a cage opening day big guy opening day Mix up. 
Yeah. Yeah, like it's uh, it's Bob, Bob and Roger in the outfield, and he's like, "Oh, Mickey's up," and you, it's yeah. just it's this different kind of sense of when he steps in, you feel that presence. I I love that scene. It's a great, it's a it's a great way to start off the movie, and it really it really sets you up for the story that you're gonna go through, and it, it does a lot of character development without like doing a ton of heavy lifting as far as that. Um, the next one I've got is when the Yankee the the guys go out to dinner, all the Yankees go out to dinner, and it's. It's basically guys going around the table, and it's it's what we talked about earlier about Mickey being a good teammate. It's guys. It's essentially like why they love Mickey no matter what. Uh, yep. Why Joe DiMaggio is a dick. It endears <laughs> you to Mickey for the whole movie. You hear the good stories about him, especially the one of him sitting with Elston Howard. Uh, also, shout out Dom from Entourage in this movie, who always <laughs> yes. seems to always seems to pop up in a New York movie. Dom from Entourage. Dom from Entourage. I had this written down. This was my favorite scene. Uh, I love, uh, I, so my, I think because, so my favorite TV show of all time is Mad Men. And so I just love getting transported back to that world of like mid early to mid 1960s. And I kind of got that vibe from, from this scene. And yeah, you get the history lesson of Joe D and Mickey Mantle's relationship, the pressure that Mantle felt when he was called up. Um, and given number six and then obviously sent down and had to get number seven when he came back up and then the 1951 world series where he shreds his knee. So you kind of get like the history lesson of, of how we got here. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, this is my favorite scene in the movie. And I just love, like you said, with that era, I love a scene in a in a smoky, loud 1960s bar. I'm a huge fan. Of, this is a great cigarette movie. Big, huge movie for cigarettes. <laughs> great, great. Everyone just ripping. I mean, how many did Maris rip? Like, oh, I mean, Heater Central over at the Maris place. 50 packs a day that dude was smoking by by September of 1961. When you're smoking so many cigarettes that Mickey Mantle makes a crack about it, you're smoking a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> it's like Mantle wouldn't do that to him. How, what am I doing to myself? He's, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, didn't he make a crack at, at one point? He's like those can't be good for you either. Yeah. Did people did people know that in 1961? I think 1961 was right when right when you're starting to get some whispers of like, hey, the smoking might not be the best word because you mentioned Mad Men. The first episode of Mad yes. Men is the the you know their yeah. toaster or whatever, like the Lucky Strike commercial. So that was it was still they were still big. They were still incredibly popular. It was like everyone smokes. But I I, I think the 60s and 70s. I'm not I'm not as up to date on my smoking lore as I probably should be. But I think the 60s and 70s when people were like, you know what, this might actually not make as much sense as we thought it did. Yeah, and, and I also loved at one point in the movie where uh, I think Mantle's like in the training room. And Maris is like, shouldn't you be taking it easy? And Mantle's like, I am. I'm only having a beer. <laughs> it's like, I'm not drinking liquor right now. So yeah, I'm taking it easy. I'm hydrating, bro. He's so good in this. Um, the next scene I've got is the the dinger montage, like starting to get into the home run race of it all. This isn't the best scene, but it's it's just really fun watching the the homers pile up. You see the media narrative kind of piling up, like it's it's going back and forth between them hitting home runs and then articles in the paper, and then that's when it it cuts in the hot dog commercial bloopers, which were genuine authentic things of of Jane and Barry Pepper filming that thing and and cracking up. I I very much enjoy that part. It's another thing that endears you to those guys. Yeah, it's it's their it's that relationship, and I, I you know 
we're never going to know if they truly were that good of buddies, but I like to think they were like that. That makes me smile to think about like these guys having just like a friendly competition uh, and, and behind the scenes liking one another, because I think at one point in the movie, um, they talked about the, the Bay Ruth Lou Gehrig uh, rivalry. I think mm-hmm. there's like a reporter who's talking about it. And that also wasn't true. Like, those two guys went on barnstorming tours together. They made thousands of dollars together just traveling around. They were they were good friends. So, obviously, the media plays up these rivalries. So, I hope Mickey and, and Roger were actually that close. I did a, a tiny amount of research on that, and it seems like they were. It's the, you know, they had the M&M Corporation. It seems like they, they did get along, and there wasn't really a rivalry. And I think they kind of – they key to that in the movie, too, in that – I mean – Roger Maris would have had to have a crazy sense of self-worth like our you know over uh, of ego and it seems like he was not a guy who had that at all like very humble down to earth to like think that no matter what you do like Mickey Mantle is just on a different level of every other baseball player in the world at that time so the a rivalry in that sense wouldn't really make sense of trying to to win those guys over and there's you know you, you see Maris's frustration with just wanting to be accepted but I, I think I think that, you know, just doing a little bit of research seems like that that relationship was there in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, no, ma- no matter what Roger did, the Yankees fans were not going to love him the way they like the, the way they loved Mantle. Just like no matter what A-Rod did, they were never going to love him as much as they love Jeter. Yeah. And but little do they know that now A-Rod is giving uh, tips on real estate on TikTok, apparently. So we all we all missed out. Just all you need is, is, a, is a is a one million dollar loan and you can be rich like A-Rod. Um, OK, next scene I've got. This is more of a moment, but it is uh, Mickey's one armed home run in this movie. That is a stand in for everything people from our generation heard about Mickey Mantle, like the superhuman of it all, the playing through injuries, the playing through demons. Um, you know, because growing up a baseball fan in the 80s and the 90s, you know, you heard Mickey Mantle hitting 600 foot home runs and just the legend of his legend of it all. And and that one armed home run in this movie is just an incredible moment. And then right as he when he when he crosses home plate and, and I think it's Rogers like put it there. He's like, can't do it. It's just can't do it. It's awesome. The uh, the 60 seconds of Internet research I did, it seems to be largely true that he he did hurt his arm and then hit a home run. So I don't know exactly how, how much that, you know, how, how much it was exaggerated, but, but something resembling that actually happened. Running sets is a pitch. the gutsiest thing I've ever seen on a ball field. Let it up here in the big ballpark. Hell of a hit, Mick. Put it there, pal. Can't do it. If it didn't happen, I don't want anyone to tell me otherwise. Yeah, because just <laughs> because I love the I love the moment. Um okay, so Mickey and Roger having it out. It's pretty soon after that. And and I like that Roger 
when he says the the line of you're Mickey Mantle for Christ's sakes, Roger is kind of the avatar for every frustrated sports fan when it comes to athletes who just don't do what they think they do. Like people always put, oh, if I had this much talent, I would, you know, do this or do this. And people in reality don't know what they do when they were put in someone else's shoes. Mickey Mantle was playing with a torn ACL. Um, it, Jane kind of gets behind the psyche of Mantle in that one, why he's living his life a million miles an hour. Um, and why he's going to spend the rest of his life living his life a million miles an hour and battling those demons, but talking about you know how his dad keeled over and his grandpa and same thing. It, it's it's the most I think like mentally emotional scene of the film. Mick, you ever just stop and think? If you took better care of yourself, you wouldn't be getting hurt all the time. Did you see what you did out there today with only one arm? And uh, tonight you're out screwing around. I mean, how can you do that? You're Mickey Mantle for Christ's sake! What's that supposed to mean, huh? What the fuck's that supposed to mean? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're the one that doesn't want it. You think you know something about me? You don't know shit about me. Yeah? Fine. My dad died when he was 39. Hodgkins. My grandfather, my uncle, same thing. None of them made it past the age of 45, all right? So I'm going to live my life the way I want. Why don't you get off my back? Call your wife. Cry to her about it. Yeah, and and kind of the messed up thing is that Mantle ended up outliving Maris by a good amount of time, mm-hmm. almost uh, almost twenty years. And 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 Mantle was already older than him, so age wise. So you're saying he he lived twenty years longer or twenty years older? I think twenty year. I think twenty years older. Yeah, and um, you know who knows uh, you know how much the smoking may have affected uh, Maris, but but yeah, that's kind of the. Um, the twist there, the evil twist is that Maris was such a quiet, humble guy. Didn't never would dream about cheating on his wife or staying out late or anything like that. And, uh, you know, the, the health caught up to him a lot quicker than it caught up to mantle. Yeah. He was, uh, he was 51, which is, which is scary young. Um, that kind of goes in Mickey and pretty soon after that, Mickey and Roger have dinner. Um, Mickey, that's the, the story about when he came up, the pressure of it, get number six and those are the kind of stories I want on my podcast, on my 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 interview <laughs> series with Baseball America. I need stuff like that. But uh, that's when Mickey drops out of the race, and it's kind of kind of clears the runway for Roger. Yep. And then the final scene I've got is um, you know is is Roger hitting sixty one. I like that Billy Crystal doesn't kind of dally with it. He doesn't really. There's not this huge buildup or anything like that. It's just like he shows us the tank. Show us the tank, Billy. Well, the bigger. The bigger moment is there. The bigger scene buildup is the 59th home run in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. You see all his abs there. Yeah. So you, if you don't know the ending or if you don't know what actually happened as the viewer, you're probably thinking, "Oh, he's gonna get it here," because that's how a sports movie ends. Is that on the last day of the of the legitimate uh, season? That uh, the subplot there, uh, without the asterisk, is that uh, he'll get it here, and then he doesn't, and just Wilhelm, the knuckleballer, just looking evil as all hell. Played by real-life knuckleballer Tom Candiotti. Okay, there you go. I, I mean, I should have known. He had good form. but Yeah, yeah. But yeah, cause, so you're right. That, that sort of natural, like kind of like the natural scene where it's like, every, you know, kind of moving in slow motion, kind of shot, shot like it's, okay, it's definitely going to happen and then it doesn't happen. Uh, I thought that scene really worked as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a very good precursor, and then kind of going into just the the bluntness of of Mayor hitting sixty one. It's kind of 
it's fitting how he did that because there was always always the the lore, kind of the story of it, that it wasn't a very it was a sparsely attended game. Like most of the fans were in right field hoping they get the home run, but it was just a home run on the last day of the season and it wasn't um, you know, it wasn't like uh the the home run we see in the movie, Mark McGuire's sixty second home run, which like I was I remember exactly where I was when I saw that home run. Where were you? I was in my parents' bedroom in Richmond, Virginia, watching it on uh, their massive, like, you know, 400-pound TV back in the day, back in 1998. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when I saw it. Yeah. I I also was uh, sitting on the floor of my living room, was watching with my dad. It was, uh, it was, I want to say it was either, it was the week that school was starting, and I believe it was the night before school was starting, because it was early September. Um, I, it was 1998, so I was 10 years old, whatever grade I was in. But yeah, I remember staying up late to watch that. Yeah, this movie reminds you just how fucking gigantic Mark McGuire was, too. Just Get some com- good shots of those math muscles. Com- it's, com- it's comically big. It's, oh, I miss those days. So big. So big. <laughs> I, I miss it, too. I have a Sammy Sosa poster on the wall of my office that I'm recording this podcast in. <laughs> Shout out, Sammy. Bring him back to Chicago. Um, so you said, so the Yankees out to dinner is your favorite scene then. Yeah, best scene in this movie? Yeah, I, I love that bar scene. I think I'm going with that. I love that. And then I, I love Mickey and Roger having it out in the apartment. I think that's a that's a really compelling scene. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. This is a baseball movie, but not really, you know, I, I would also say the open, honorable mention of the opening day scene. It's not it's not the best scene in the movie, but it's really, really good. It's a really good it, setup. I it's love fun. The moment. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun scene because... To be honest, the I guess we can get into. Um, I'll save it for for what doesn't work. So I'll save it. Okay, let's take a quick ad break and then get back with the best quote. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so best quote for this one. For me, writing down quotes, it was almost entirely Jane is mantle. <laughs> yep, we probably did, have the same ones. I was now. about to say, did you have anything? I have one thing that isn't mantle. Uh, let me look through mine. Uh, I have one that isn't mantle. What is yours that isn't mantle? It's the TV announcer when he's talking about the Soviet Union resuming nuclear testing. <laughs> Basically shrugs that off and then says, everyone is concerned with one thing. Who's going to break Babe Ruth's home run record? <laughs> I was like, this is peak Cold War. Like, we're, so this was summer 1961. So we're like a year before the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it's just like, yeah, Soviets are doing something. We don't know who's going to break the home run record. 
I got I got a. It's kick American as shit. I have yeah. one from from Mel Allen, aka Shooter McGavin. Uh, after Mantle's one arm home run, when he says one arm home run, I can't even eat pizza with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, I want to get into him in a bit because he's he's awesome. Oh, I got um, but, I got some stuff on on Mel Allen. There's a there's a lot of great uh great Mantle ones though. I think early in the early in the movie when um they're talking up Babe Ruth and I think Mantle says it to Mary says I bet I got more pussy than he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first the first line that he says in the movie is, I like women with small hands. Makes my dick look bigger. <laughs> like, that's the first line that Mickey Mantle says in the movie. Oh, hey. Good God. Hey, Whitey, look at that. She likes to read to the blind. <laughs> She's not your type, Slip. Yeah, I like women with small hands. Makes my dick look bigger. Yeah, right. It sets you up for exactly what that guy's <laughs> that guy's gonna be. Uh, the, the other one about Ruth, Ruth when he's we're chasing a ghost. The fat fuck, he's everywhere. <laughs> yep, that's great. Look, in '56, I had 52 home runs. That's all anybody could ever talk about. Ruth this, Ruth that, 24 hours a day. We're chasing a ghost, Raj. You go in that clubhouse, he's there. You're at home plate, he's there. You're in the outfield, he's there. The fat fuck, he's everywhere. I like the one where Mickey was talking to reporters, and the reporters were asking him about uh, the fans getting on Roger Maris. He goes, yeah, you know, but you can't figure this stuff out. He'll come around, and then he just lets out a giant belch into the microphone. (laughs) In, In all this stuff, like, you would find it... Like if John Rocker was saying stuff like this, you'd find it repulsive. But with with Thomas Jane as Mickey Mantle, you just love the guy for all this shit. It's like, can you imagine Mike Trout, who is basically talent wise, you know, performance on field wise, modern day Mickey Mantle, talking with a, the it, personality of Roger Maris with, with the less person- cigarettes. That's true. It's the love child between Mickey Mantle and and Roger Maris. Can you imagine any baseball player taking a? Uh, of reporter's microphone and just letting out a giant belch into it. Now, you say any baseball player. Let me think, but I, I feel like I can think of a baseball player. Who could do it and not have the Twitter police get all over them? Hmm. I feel like at this point, I feel like Tatis could do it. But he'd uh, have to no. apologize right yeah, after? Exactly. He got he got shit for bat flipping. He's gonna belch into a microphone, he's gonna get shit for that. I, yeah, I don't well, know. Yeah, I mean, he would he would get sh- he would get shit from the, the reporters who who don't care for for guys from the Dominican playing with flair. Yeah, I feel like um, Albert Pujols, if the last thing he does is just belch into a microphone, people will give him a pass. If he belched into a microphone, it would be better than ninety five percent of his Angels tenure. <laughs> oh man. Um, the last one I've got, uh, the last quote is something I like because it, it kind of it speaks to the art of breaking out a slump when Mantle, Mantle starts eating the eggs and yeah. Bob asks and, and Roger says something, you know, Mickey likes them. He goes, no, they're shit, but I'm in a bit of a slump. I'll try anything. I really love that line. He delivers it so well. He delivers it exactly how a slumping baseball player would deliver them. Again, give me an eight episode Netflix series of those guys in an apartment. I would watch the shit out of it. Yeah, I feel like uh, I know this is a, a later question as well, but um, like if they're going to, they could easily get more mileage out of this season if you really find the right cast to for the friendship between Mickey and and Roger. So this one, 
I guess I'll step on our last category, but it's kind of since you brought it up, I feel like if this gets made now, and it can be said for almost anything that gets made now that's like a TV movie, this is probably a miniseries if you yeah, make it now. I would I would think so. It's like a, it's like a five-parter or something like that. And I bet you Billy Crystal would have fucking loved that too. Oh my God. If they said, Billy, you can do this story, but we'll give you 10 hours to do it. Or we'll give you eight hours to do it. How long is the director's cut of 61? It's probably just like seven Seven hours, seven straight hours of baseball minutia. This would have been a very fun movie to be on set on because I bet Crystal and whoever else he had out there was just dishing out fun tidbits or like... You know, hey, we should try this because Mickey did this and stuff like that. There's there's a clear there's a clear deference to the to the mantle of it all, but I think that's that's also because there is just more on Mickey Mantle than there is Roger Maris. Yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, there's just there's so much there's so much more. He's so much more well known, and and the reason that I think the reason the movie works is because these two are so different. If it was just two of the same guy going after the same record, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as fun. It's like, and you're not even necessarily rooting for Maris or rooting for Mantle as you're watching the movie. You're kind of just you're just rooting for like them both to keep going. Like that, at least that's what I find myself doing. Yeah, it's it's a special thing that this movie does. Is not you don't really pick a side. You you feel a lot of sympathy for Maris, but you don't. You don't necessarily pick a side, and and a lot of baseball fans, you kind of go in with that pre, pre, you know, that that knowledge. But it, it's still, yeah, it's it's very effective in how it does that. I want to defer to you on the most authentic, you know, sports centric aspect of this movie. As the Yankees expert, what comes off the page is the absolute thing that Billy Crystal got right with this. I, I mean, I thought everything in set. Like as soon as you're transported from the modern day or whatever 1998 to 1961, everything looks fantastic. The wardrobes mm-hmm. look fantastic, stadium looks fantastic, set pieces look fantastic. Like so, just like being transported into that era and and like what baseball felt like then, I thought worked really well. Um, I already mentioned like the the mannerisms that Thomas Jane was able to to capture from Mickey Mantle, that worked awesome. Um, like he just nailed it. And, and so, so like the, the small details, if you're a Yankees fan or if you're a baseball fan that Billy Crystal, uh, you know, was able to track. I, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Again, it's something that if you got someone without the, the passion and the knowledge behind this project, it doesn't land as well. Uh, it, it's a, just a great look at, at baseball of that era. Oh, absolutely. And, and we're, and you know, as far as authentic, like sports, you know, sport, like all the, all the on-field action. I mean, it, it honestly takes such a backseat in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's you still not, get a lot of it though. Yeah. You, like, get, you a get, lot. A, get a pretty decent amount, but it's not the the focal point. No. And like, there's not really many extent, like the, there's the, the 59 home run extended sort of scene. There's like one extended scene early on in the movie where Mickey gets intentionally walked after they switch up the lineup. And like, other than that, I couldn't really think of like sport, like the, like just action sports action scenes. Mm -hmm. What I had for authentic though, is it's a great look at the wages of MOB players in that day. Cause we were kind of talking about them all sharing this, you know, this nice, but not great apartment in Queens. Roger Maris was an AL MVP and couldn't afford to keep an apartment for his family in his offseason home. 
Because, like, Roger Maris was a family man. If he could have afforded to have them in New York, he would have. But instead, he has to share an apartment with Bob. Yeah, and Bob, it goes, we need to make it back to the World Series. I need that 8000 bucks To get surgery. <laughs> to get surgery. It's like, where's the health Where's the healthcare, Yankees? Don't you have Bob a team doctor? Bob was fourth in MVP voting three years prior, and <laughs> he like, needs yeah. the eight grand. <laughs> He's gonna, Yankees aren't going to cut his, cut his knee open. It's a tough, tough look for, for poor Bob, uh, and tough look for, for how baseball paid its players up until they had a union. Yeah, and Bob's not going to rake in any of that M&M boys money. No, no, Bob wasn't getting a dime of that. You, you would have thought that they would have cut Bob in on a commercial or something like that. Here's, <laughs> here's Roger and Mickey and their roommate Bob. <laughs> and Bob. It's like, a, a, how many people would even know Bob is also a player? Probably, and I mean, because you got to think in that day, not many people are watching the games on TV. It's mostly radio action. Bob's probably never in the paper. Maybe 5%, maybe probably less, maybe like 2 to 3% of New Yorkers could pick Bob out of a, a 10 person lineup if you ask who's the guy who plays for the Yankees. Do you remember the scene when Mantle, it's like later in the movie, Mantle brings home a girl? And mm-hmm. and Maris is like in the kitchen, and then the girl looks over and she goes, "Is that Roger Maris?" Like as if she couldn't believe it. It's like you're making out with Mickey Mantle. Why do you <laughs> think it's so unbelievable that he would be in the same apartment as Roger Maris? It would That's... have been funnier though if it was Bob, and she was like, "Who <laughs> yeah. is this guy you're living with?" Exactly. That would have made sense. Like, who the f is that? fat piece of crap <laughs> oh, he's our left fielder it's like no yeah that's roger maris because i'm mickey mantle also i'm not 100 percent sure she would have known who that was roger maris yeah i'm not sure either actually we we forgot that one of the funniest lines in the movie is when uh one of roger's kids is talking about how she liked it better when she was back and when they he was playing for kansas city and bob tells her if i don't start hitting i'm gonna be back in kansas city <laughs> bob got a zinger in he did. Bob was Bob was solid comic relief. Uh, what did you have as the least authentic part of this one? Um, there's not a lot. I mean, Billy Crystal took care. Yeah, I, I there was a I, one thing I wrote down. There's a a play Maris made in the gap in right center field against Detroit, <laughs> but I don't even know what I'm referencing there. Do you know what I'm referencing? No, it, that's not the one where he flips it to Mickey after making the making Maybe. the play, right? Maybe I don't know. I, I like the I. There's really not. There's really not much. Like no. the couple. Like the one fact I mentioned about Bob Serve, which I'm. Um, I bet Billy Crystal knew about that. He's like, but I need it for plot for Bob to be there from the beginning. It's like, how are you going to explain? Oh, Bob got here on May eighth in a trade. Yeah, it's not a deal breaker. Um, Thomas Jane's swing doesn't look great, but there. There's also this movie is helped by the sliding scale of baseball doesn't have to look as good in 1961 as baseball in 2021 has to look. And then like, I'm not going to kill this movie for Thomas Jane, not looking like one of the best players of all time. Did, do you know on the, uh, the close up scene when they zoom in on his forearms? Uh, I think when he hits the one arm home run, they used a body double for that, right? Had to have. Cause Had those, to have it, it, body double. I mean, those forearms were impressive. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Jane is a built dude. He's like one of the only people in this movie who actually like who gets some some headlining projects after this. Pretty much everyone else is just a character actor. So he Thomas Jane kind of looks the part as a leading man and he got some leading man stuff that didn't really like 
break through the ceiling, but he's got kind of the leading man build. Like you could have seen things going differently and maybe he ends up in a Marvel Marvel movie at some point. But yeah, that was, those were body double forearms. Definitely. And I mean, I thought Barry Pepper represented himself well on the field. I mean, I love, love Barry Pepper. I thought Barry Pepper was awesome in this movie. He didn't get as much to work with as Thomas Jane. Like Thomas Jane got a little, got to have a little more fun with it. Um, and I mean, we can roll this into what works because what I had written down is the the performance from the two leads. Like James Mantle is awesome. Barry Pepper is just always steady. He's coming off a really good run too. Uh, Crystal Salmon saving Private Ryan, so I ca- so he's saving Private Ryan. Uh, he's in the Green Mile. He's in the Dale Earnhardt movie, the TV movie the ESPN did three, which is really good. Like Barry Pepper is always steady. I, I'm I, anytime I see Barry Pepper pop up, I, I enjoy it. And he he cut he. Really does kind of look like Roger Maris. He does looks like the spitting image of Roger Maris. And, and like, if you squint a little bit, uh, Thomas Jane looks like Mickey Mantle. So like the casting, I thought was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. And then Crystal takes this. He takes like all these solid character actors, like guys you have seen. You know, he has he has Christopher. He has Shooter McGavin as Mel Allen, who is really good in this one uh he, you know he is the warden from shawshank he has anthony michael hall as whitey ford he is the nerd from the breakfast club as whitey ford um it just bruce mcgill who is a you know d-day from animal house like he's the sheriff and my cousin Vinny. just all these guys that you've seen other places the only person he gets who is not like a character actor and not someone you've seen somewhere else do you did you notice who do you know who pat maris was who maris's wife was no that is Billy Crystal's daughter. Oh, really? <laughs> that is Jennifer Crystal Foley. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you're directing the movie. You get to cast whoever you want. Yeah, she's, she, uh, it's a, it's a small enough part where it's just like, eh, yeah, fine. You're, you're Billy Crystal. You get to do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, what else about this one worked for you? What, what stands out? What makes this a Hall of Famer? I, I feel like we've touched on pretty much all this like i think we've touched we've on touched everything. on a lot of it yeah yeah like i'm trying to think like what else is that we haven't mentioned that that worked uh really well um i i liked beginning and ending the movie with the the 1998 home run chase like book ending it that way i thought that was very effective yeah and like i at the end when when um when uh mcguire was talking about like touching maris's bat like as as much as like obviously mcguire did steroids and everything like <laughs> he he was still such a likable him and sosa were still very likable like, i still really time. like mark mcguire man yeah so like hearing him say that like i it just like transported me back to like 1998 and loving baseball so freaking much and just wanting to like every morning turning on sports center to find out if sosa and if mcguire hit a home run so like i i i really liked that how how the movie was bookended that way yeah, the fun thing is to remember that in 1998, uh, Greg Vaughn also had more home runs than Mantle had in that 1961 year, which is really, really fun to remember. Um, one thing we haven't touched about that I thought I thought Billy Crystal did a really good job of was the 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 media pressure aspect, that the kind of pressure cooker aspect of New York media. The movie puts you in the bubble; you feel the stress that's on Roger Maris. Does a really good job of that. Absolutely. I did. I did write that down. Uh, the, and, and that was real too. Like that, that is not really overblown in the movie, how much stress Maris was going through. Yeah. And you know, you do the, the classic thing that I, I think even like casual baseball fans who knew about the home run chased it with the, you know, the, 
Maris's hair was falling out, but you show exactly why that was. All that stress, all the cigarettes. Again, huge cigarette movie. The dugout cigarettes. You get Mantle smoking in the or uh, Maris smoking in the dugout. Um, you, we kind of talked about the, you know, the team, the team aspect, that team dinner that we liked. I, team sports movies struggle when they're a little too insular. You 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 know, you only focus on one or two guys, and you only really get a feel for those guys. A movie, I mean, putting these movies on the same pet, like Rookie of the Year struggles with that. You have no idea what's going on with anyone else on the team, really, besides, um, you know, uh, the fucking the kid and Chet Stedman. Yeah, they, uh, they mention they mention a few times like where they are in the race, like relative to Detroit. They're trying to make it back to the World Series. So you're kind of following that as like a background to the season. Um, but again, it's not it's not important, really. Mm-hmm. But they still get a good development of the team aspect, the Maris Mantle dynamic. They set up New York. They set up, you know, the team, why they like Mickey. Like, it does a good job of it. You're not as concerned about the team, but it at least gives you that environment where it's not like you're not just laser focused on those two guys, which I, I think was a I think was a good call, especially with all the, you know, all the people they cast to play those guys. Yeah, and how they interact with not just their teammates, but also like the the media that's following them, the the Maris family. I mean, do we even see Mantle's wife or we only hear her on the phone? We only hear her on the phone. I do not think we get a, a glimpse at Mrs. Mantle. Yeah, he calls up and she's like, it's August. The kids aren't in school. It's like, oh, geez. She probably had a tough go of it. Um, was there anything about this one that didn't work for you? Uh, yeah, the uh, the Yogi Berra character. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was quick. It's just like, it was way too stereotypical Yogi. And as much as we all love the Yogiisms, I can't imagine he was that over-the-top stereotypical in real life. No. No, I, is there, there's gotta be a good Yogi biography out there, right? Oh, oh, like a book? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's multiple. I have not read one. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, so like, I was kind of annoyed by the Yogi character. I would have liked a little less Yogi-isms and like one, two extra minutes of Whitey Ford. I love Anthony Michael Hall as Whitey Ford is awesome. Yeah, but like I, need, I wanted a little bit more of just the chairman of the board, Whitey Ford, just cleaning up Mickey's messes. Yeah. I, oh, I, that see, that's one of the episodes in the in the series with um, you know the, the Netflix series about them and the them in the uh, them in the apartment. There's just one episode that's dedicated to you know Whitey Ford dragging Mickey in every now and then, <laughs> and cleaning then, up his messes. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that's. I feel like you could you could just do that's. That's a 10 episode series, uh, just divergent path of its own. It's just Mickey Mantle's hijinks. Like you got, you do you know about the, the night, the Billy Martin, Mickey Mantle, Copacabana. I do. I, I do not. So that's the reason Billy Martin got traded is because <laughs> is because the guys were out. I forget what year. I think it was 1957. It was Mantle, um, Billy Martin and a few of the other players, Hank Bauer. And they just, they just, beat up a bunch of guys at the Copacabana nightclub. That was the precursor to Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. And uh and they the Billy Martin took the took the fall for it because you're you're not going to bench Mickey Mantle. You're not going to trade Mickey Mantle. Billy Martin's going to get traded for it. I love stories about guys being such bad drinking influences to star players that they get traded because of it. That's that's one of my favorite things. There's not a lot about this one that doesn't work. Uh there's really only 
there's really only one thing that I, I that just needs to be fired into the sun in this movie. And it's a problem with movies from that era and, and movies previously. We don't do this now. It, movies now, it's all about like the score. We don't, you know, it is just instrumentals. There's a, a song with lyrics playing as Roger is smoking morning heaters while it rains when he's all stressed out. It is so bad. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I know what scene you're talking about. It's a little... It's it's far over the top cheesy. Like my baby. And I like eggs over easy with a flower tortillas. And nobody holds me. It is just not at all what you want. And again, if this movie comes out probably like seven, eight years later, it doesn't happen. But it is just the toughest of tough. The uh, the only other one I wrote down and you're going to be like, dude, that's not a big deal. Very beginning of the movie when we're in present day and one of the Maris children says, it's weird. It's like in some ways it's the best season dad ever had. Oh, you mean the season in which he hit 61 home runs, had 141 <laughs> RBIs, and had a 167 OPS plus is the best year he ever had? Yeah. No shit. You know, the funny thing is Mantle, I was looking at Mantle was worth over three more wins than Maris was that season. Oh, I mean, Mickey Mantle was on another level. I mean, his on-base percentage was, I think, much higher. Uh, he, he probably played better defense when he, when he was when he was out there. Yeah, I mean, Maris was obviously a good player, but other than this season, he never hit 40 home runs. No, he was, I mean, and, and Mickey Mantle. What Mickey Mantle is well over 100 war, I believe. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it is widely uh, believed that if, if Mickey Mantle just didn't have debilitating injuries, he probably be, would be considered maybe top three baseball player of all time, and he's probably right now only considered like top 10. Yeah, I mean, he, he's pretty he's pretty close up there, though. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. There's, there's really not a whole lot that, that doesn't work with this one. Um, Kevin Costner, Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on screen athlete. You know, like I said, like Jane swing isn't great, but you're not going to kill this movie for it. Everyone else, you know, holds there again. That's kind of the nice thing about old time baseball is you just don't have, it's like the same thing with the natural. No one has to look like fucking Mike Trout because it's the 1960s. Like you see those old film clips and all those guys look weird and kind of unathletic for this day. Yeah. Go look at actual footage of Roger Maris swinging. It kind of does look like Barry Pepper. And you wonder how did he hit 61 home runs? I mean, well, he hit 61 home runs. Let's, let's face it because Yankee stadium is a fucking fairy tale. (laughs) <laughs> boombox ballpark that i can't believe they I can't believe they they fucking remade that baby park <laughs> fucking hey, super if, mario world stadium over there yeah you had to pull it though if you didn't pull it it was hard to get it out that's the thing though like because of the so that that was like the so roger maris hits those 61 home runs because he could pull it into again that fucking little fairy tale short porch <laughs> they have in new york but every single big left-handed hitter when they'd sign with the yankees would be like oh this guy's gonna go for roger maris's record or this guy's gonna go for the home run record or it, it was always that running thing of the yankees have this fucking little baby porch in right field and the lefties are just gonna pepper that thing yeah and, and now in today's game with freak athletes and probably juice baseballs although this year it might be de-juiced it's like does it really matter because they're hitting it 77 rows deep anyway 
Yeah, you know, maybe you know, maybe they'll uh, they'll move right field back to you know maybe like three hundred and twenty five feet or something. You know, uh, <laughs> where where my high school had their uh, had their right field fence. But anyways, anyways, <laughs> en- enough about Yankee Stadium and the, the little fucking fun fairy tale box they have over there. Uh, Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. It's this is tough. It's a, it's like a character actor hall of fame. Yeah, like right. you said, the warden for Shawshank and, and Christopher McDonald, Bruce McGill, Anthony Michael Hall. Who who stands out to you? Who was the best? I mean, because you know, it's pretty much everyone except Jane Pepper could qualify for this. So are we including Bob, the Bob Surf character? Because he's by far and away the third best character in the movie, but I feel like he's probably too too prevalent. Kind of on the fringe, yeah, for this one. Because if he qualifies, it's him. Uh, it's Chris Bauer is Bob Serve. Uh, I, I think the if he qualifies, the only one who can compete is Anthony. You kind of said earlier, Anthony Michael Hall is, is, I mean, chairman of the board. He's holding court in this one. He's really, really good. Yeah, I, I need two more minutes. I Like, not even that much more. Just, like, another two-and-a-half-minute scene, and I'll give it to him. I, as much as he's a weasel... The Artie Green, Peter, played Peter, by Peter Jacobson. Jacobson. I mean, all-time weasel. So I kind of got a kick out of him on this rewatch. Him with, like, the flip-flopping. Like, it just he yeah. spends the entire movie complaining about Maris, but, like, talking shit about him, and it's it's just a huge weasel performance. Yeah. So I, I think I might go with him. It's just you don't like him in the movie, but I, but he's good in the movie. Yeah, and then he, kind of his, his counterpart, um, Richard Masser, is... Uh, a, my, I did. I didn't write out his name in my notes, but as the other reporter, he's great. Yeah, uh, Milt. I'm looking at the cast right now. Yeah, uh, Milt Khan. <laughs> <laughs> he's good. He's he's really and it just like his how incredulous he is at everything that Artie Green does. It's a nice little odd couple pairing throughout the movie. You need the two to to speak for, I guess speak for the the the, the audience mm-hmm. on it. Uh, you need those two characters. They really fill us in throughout throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Okay, the big chill. So I've got four nominees for this one. Four things that gave me the chills. Uh, okay. One is when McGuire goes deep for sixty two. It is. It has very nothing beginning. to do really with the movie, but the very beginning, I see it, and it it like we said earlier, brings me right back. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, the only the one I wrote down was actually another McGuire scene. It's at the very end when he's talking about. Uh, talking about touching Roger Maris's bat and then Roger's wife is watching on TV and she's getting choked up. That's a, that, that is a, a chill inducing scene. I have two mantle ones. Uh, what about, what about when Mickey Mantle gets that standing ovation and crystal chooses that wide shot showing him in the box in the big shot of the stadium? Is it the standing ovation after he checks his swing and gets hurt? I think so. Yeah. Cause it, cause it's right. It goes right into that. Um, no, no, no. He gets the standing ovation and then he checks the swing and gets hurt. It's because the, um, the, the movie had been leading up to, or like the, the reporters or whatever have been talking about how he was down to Roger. He, it's when, um, it's when, um, Milt says he's never been the underdog yes. before. Yeah. And then it's that standing ovation. Yeah. That's a good one. never seen him get a hand like this before he's never been the underdog before
Now, this is really something, folks. Mantle is at the plate, stuck on 48 home runs, and this Yankee crowd is trying to will him back into this home run race. It's the Yankee fans at their very best. How about that? Wow, huh? and I'll tell you something else. If he gets a hole one today, the way he's swinging, it's going to go to Jersey. Mark my word. Really, really good. Uh, I get the chills with the one arm tank, too, which is kind of a, you know, a, just a, like a superhero feat. And then I get chills with number 61. It's it's almost understated how how Crystal does it, but it's it's chill inducing because of what you've seen Maris go through for the whole movie and like finally getting that that monkey off his back and actually doing it. Here's the wind up. Like, literally the only point in the movie that Roger Maris seems happy is actually after he hits that home run and he's sitting in the dugout and he kind of just takes it like an exhale. And he's like, oh, it's over, finally. It's a really good moment. Really, yeah. really good moment. I'm going – the mantle getting the standing ovation, I I love. And, I'm again, I hate the Yankees with the fire of a thousand suns, but that that's an incredible moment. It's a great shot. I, I do like that one, yeah. I I, I – immediately thought of the mcguire thing which is kind of weird but i do like the 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 standing ovation for mickey how would you improve this movie andrew if at all oh i don't even know i didn't write anything down (laughs) i had one and i'm just it's nothing against her it's nothing personal you could have recasted pat maris my wife suggested jennifer garner who was around that age at the same time she is she was she was around i think she was around that age that was um the movie came out the same year she broke out with alias i think she was close to the because like you could have done her up with some hair and stuff like jennifer garner is let's see this movie came out in 2001 jennifer garner was born in 1972 so she is a little young yeah oh no 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 no. she's um she'd be like she'd be like 29 she was 29 then if it was Jennifer Garner and we were watching it now, do you think that would distract you? A little. That's a good point. She would be the most, 20 years later, she'd be the most famous person in that movie. You're not supposed to even really, I mean, you're, she's supposed to be there to just like have Maris confiding, you know, in what he's going through. It's, she's not, I don't know. It's, she's, I feel like the amount of, screen time that she has like the the character is fine i i don't know i i have a bigger problem with yogi Berra. <laughs> you could re- recast yogi or just even like cut him out of the movie yeah you cut him out of, just just have like you don't even have to show yogi just like have a guy wearing number eight and then like from the back have him say one yogiism and then then have that be it yeah i i think that would i think that would be a a, a solid compromise on that one before um, we get to the last category, can we talk about Mel Allen? Okay, and, yeah, and, yeah. We kind of kind of skipped over him during the uh, the pinch hitter award. By all means, take the take the floor, of Mel Allen. So he did indeed recommend Mickey go see uh, his doctor. 
doctor's nickname was Dr. Feelgood. So that's a red flag right there. <laughs> right there. No, any anytime it's a Motley Crue song, you know, 20, 20 years later, it's not what you want. This doctor was known after the fact, but a little bit during the time to treat very high profile people with mysterious drugs. He treated among, among many people, John F. Kennedy. Okay. And, and he, Mickey later said he injected me with some quote, smoky liquid and he injected it too high and hit my hip bone. And that's why I, w- I got an infection. That uh, that hip thing looks like he got bitten by a zombie in yep. the movie. I don't know if it was actually that gruesome, but if it was 10% that gruesome, then we can blame Mel Allen for taking Mickey Mantle out of the 1961 home run race because he sent him to see Dr. Feelgood. So aside from that, though... How was Mel Allen for you in this? Because I, I, I loved Christopher McDonald in, the, in that role. It's kind of interesting seeing him in, because when I think, I, I, everyone thinks of Christopher McDonald as uh, Shooter McGavin, and then he's also kind of the same kind of dude in Dirty Work, he, like the same villainous kind of dude. This is Christopher McDonald in a straight up kind of character acting performance, putting on an accent, doing a different voice. Like, I I thought it was really good, and I loved the the back and forth between him and Rizzuto that kind of it was that running gag they would have where Rizzuto would be kind of talking and talking and talking. And then Mel Allen would just straight up like cut him off and be like, actually we got something going on right now. <laughs> is it, is it the best announcer pair other than uh, angels in the outfield? <laughs> wow. I thought you were about to say, uh thought you were about to say major league with, uh, yeah. with Harry Doyle and Monty. Yeah. But you're right. Really Ma- major good. league is great too. Yeah. It's really, I mean the thing with, um, the thing with sports movies is the announcer trope is is used like sometimes it's used as a, a default narrator. Some a lot of times it's used as comic relief. Uh, this is it's a, the movie doesn't really rely on Mel Allen at all because we have the reporters kind of giving us the status on the ground and stuff like that. But it's it's just like it's more of just a nice touch. It's really enjoyable. Mel Allen was extremely beloved in this time. And he was, I mean, if you were the announcer for a team, you're, you're potentially as famous as some of the players in this era, because it's literally all the, all people at home know is your voice uh, to tell them what's happening um, and probably listening. Uh, So Mel Allen was so beloved and he was abruptly fired after the 1964 season. And the Yankees never really explained why he was fired. It was Dr. Feelgood. I think it came out later that it was just like, he was doing a lot of shady shit behind the scenes. (laughs) Uh, Christopher McDonald, by the way, has starred, has been in over 30 movies since, since just 2006. No, he hasn't. He's been in happy Gilmore in this and that's it. Since 2006, over 30 movies, only three are fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. 30 movies. I, I, I mean, you're Shooter McGavin. Isn't he Shooter McGavin on Twitter? Isn't that his handle? I don't, I don't know if that's actually him, but the, he is known to go to bars and and really play up that he was Shooter McGavin and and ask for for drinks because of that. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, some of this, some of these. I mean, God, Dukes of Hazard, the beginning superhero movie, uh, Cat Run. Balls to the wall. <laughs> Good, sweet God! It's like he couldn't have had he couldn't have begged Adam Sandler to get him into another one of his movies. 
I don't know. I mean, Adam Sandler's movies were objectively have objectively been terrible since about that time too. But yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough. But I mean, he's got a nicely. He does the. He does Iron Giant. He does Requiem for a Dream, which is a great movie that I'll never watch again. He does Happy Gilmore, but I hope he's doing okay. Hope he's at least got got like a good amount of money. That's what I, I hope for all these people. I hope they live in a nice house. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think he. I don't think he made a good amount of money from being Shooter McGavin. That's the thing when you have it's the interesting thing about being kind of a one hit wonder when it comes to music, when it comes to movies like you could have this character that just lives on forever. But you might have done that character or made that song for ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Like Shooter McGavin is a top three sports movie villain. And he's incredible. And and like he McDowell played him amazing hit it like hit it out of the park. But yeah, he probably made nothing from that movie. Yeah, and and it's not like you get you don't get royalties. I'm sure he didn't get box office in that movie or anything like that. He doesn't he doesn't get a dime probably when it or at least doesn't get a lot of money every time it comes on TBS or anything like that. It's yeah, I um man, I I mean, he's taken a ton of jobs since uh, you know, since since Happy Gilmore came out. So, hopefully Hopefully he feels feels fulfilled and and life is going decently for him. But yeah, I mean he's going to be forever Shooter McGavin. But but the Mel Allen, I, I enjoyed the performance. Um, we kind of we kind of talked about the last category earlier before more restore prequel sequel or remake. I don't I don't think you remake this. I would love to, I mean I would love to see the extended series we talked about, whether that be the guys in the apartment or just give Billy Crystal the reins to do a, a long mini series on this one. But I don't think there's really much else you can do with the story. Could you do what they did except have it set between Maguire and Sosa? Oh my <laughs> take I do sometimes on this on this podcast like a, how much would you pay? Like <laughs> you that's like that's potentially a a plunk my card down charge it and I don't care what it costs. Like we could get let's get the eight part Netflix series uh, who who knows maybe it's not good enough for Netflix maybe it's only on Hulu. But uh, or it's probably Amazon Prime actually. But let's get it and and let's just let's just go in deep into the steroids into everything. I want I mean, to see it. Cause, yeah, because you it. could do that. So like episode one of that is McGuire and Conseco in Oakland and Sosa like with the White Sox like breaking into the big leagues. Like if you you do a, a long mini series with that, it is. I mean that that's a shut up and take my money. Because, so here's the here's the here's the main difference though. The movie sixty one is romantic. It's romantic about baseball, and the nineteen ninety eight one, if it was ninety eight asterisk, would have to be cynical because you can't now in hindsight be romantic about the ninety eight home run chase as much as I would love to be because I still love it even though it was it's obviously tainted. You can't in good conscience make something that's feel good about that because there's you would get too much criticism. You either go with the kind of vibes of, did you see the documentary Screwball, the Billy Corbin yes. documentary? Yes, yeah, yes. of course, with your, your so, boy A Rod. So McGuire gonna be played by a child? You so you either go with the like the the comedy vibes of that, or uh, you give it like uncut gems vibes. <laughs> either one, I'm all in. I mean, there was a a, a recent documentary about the '98. Didn't they do it last they year? They did. Okay, so Long Gone Summer. I've talked about it before on the pod. 
probably the most disappointing 30 for 30 I've ever watched. Yeah, it was – I definitely had my hopes. Everyone had their hopes up. They were just like itching for sports documentaries after The Last Dance. And then it was just like, eh, fine. It's just like a home run mixtape. The thing – the thing with a documentary, documentaries where you know a lot of what happened beforehand are kind of working. It, it's already kind of kind of running uphill because, yeah. like, the best – like, I think about some of the 30 for 30s, like, uh, the best that never was, the Marcus Dupree one. I didn't know who Marcus Dupree was. I thought that was awesome. But movies that are – documentaries that are working with – kind of something that, that people know a lot about it is it's tough to still entertain or still like make you feel like you learn something new but like you think it's screwball like we all knew about the biogenesis scandal and stuff or at least we thought we did we didn't know anything about this backstory and this these fucking coked out florida guys running everything like that was really interesting with long gone summer i you didn't take away anything that you didn't already know it was just a home run mixtape yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So if you're going to make the 98 Home Run Chase movie or miniseries, it, it, you you have to really balance the the steroids with the actual chase itself. Because if you balance it right and tell the story that, yes, we know in hindsight it's tainted, but in the moment it was awesome, then I think it could work. I think so too. You have to... In the way that this movie captures the romanticism of baseball in that era, and it is, is very much a love letter to Billy Crystal's memories as a New York Yankees fan, you have to capture what that meant to baseball, to to America as a whole, honestly, because it, it was it was the most popular thing going on in the country at that time. Yeah, you probably have, like you said, you start it in the early 90s, and you also start it with like the 94 strike. And like coming out of the strike, and then like where baseball. If you see that, it might be too baseball-y then at that point. Like I think the reason sixty-one works is as much as it is baseball-y, it's also just like a human. It's just like a human story. Well, then you kind of go the Moneyball route too, and you you make it a human story. You have to make it about. You can make it about something bigger than baseball. I, I think it'd be very. I, I think you absolutely could make the home run chase about something bigger than baseball because. The the strike is the the strike aspect is like a, a, a you know a labor piece uh, you know a labor movie and and stuff like that has been made interesting before the steroid stuff is is kind of a crime movie something something with that aspect like there's there's ways and and that's where kind of baseball I think sports movies are headed and that they have to be just more about you know the the home team winning. And I, I think you can do that with the McGuire Sosa thing if you want to bring in all those aspects, but you have to you have to really dive into the weeds and dive into the characters behind them as opposed to making it all this baseball surface level stuff. Yeah. I have kind of a controversial opinion on Moneyball. I do love it, but it's not really a baseball movie. Money I mean, Moneyball is it's not. Like, I mean it it is, but it's I mean, the the thing about Moneyball and the, the thing about the book itself, like Moneyball, you know, businesses are always like, oh, you read Moneyball and stuff like that. Like Moneyball, it's not technically, it's not just about baseball. It's like applying those concepts to everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a, it's a great movie and you, you did a fantastic podcast on it uh, a couple months ago, but um yeah, I mean, it's like I don't even consider it in like my top five baseball movies because I think of baseball movies as like more fun even though Moneyball is like a better movie it's just like I it's not what I immediately think of when I think of baseball movie 
Well, so you, you like compare that to a movie like Everybody Wants Some, where there's only one baseball scene. There's objectively more money. There's more baseball in Moneyball, more talk about baseball. But Moneyball is about you know statistics and, and looking at a system. And it's it's as much about business as it is about baseball, whereas everybody wants some. There's only one baseball scene, but the entire movie, and we kind of talked about this in the episode, is about baseball. The the whole, yeah. the core of that movie is baseball, whereas Moneyball, it is taking a formula and placing it in baseball. Um, it's, go ahead. No, you know, you're, 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 you're totally right. And, and so like, if you apply that to the 98 home run chase, then we might have something here. I, I mean, that that is a shut up and, and take my money moment. I would, if they announced that that series was coming on Netflix, I, I mean, hell, I might actually, you know, pay for my own Netflix instead of using my parents. That's how much <laughs> I would want to see that series. But fortunately for everyone, if you have made it this far in the episode and you haven't seen 61, um, you're kind of a psycho, but uh, it is available on HBO Max uh, is, is something. And HBO Max is going to have it forever, so it's never going to go off because it was made for HBO. Andrew, I am so appreciative that you took the time to cover this movie with me. Tell the folks again where they can follow you. Check out Bronx Pinstripes. Yeah, you can also watch that movie in uh, Spanish subtitles, bootlegged on YouTube. Which is Hell yeah, that, you love <laughs> to see that. Uh, you can follow me at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and then we're, we have Bronx, Bronx Pinstripes on all the major social media platforms. Um, if you're listening to this, you might very well be a Yankees fan, so I would appreciate uh, you checking out my podcast as well. And Kyle, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I think what we took away from this is that we need to write the 98 home run chase movie. Serious. We, I mean, as soon as we get off this call, let's get on a Zoom. Let's start. Let's start writing this thing out because it's it's a hit in the making. Andrew, you're always welcome back on Big Screen Sports. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, leave a review. You folks know the drill. Episodes of Big Screen Sports come at you every Monday. If you are a baseball fan, Yankees fan, or any other team, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm. That is presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. Most recent episode was with. Four former Pirates right-hander, former LSU punter, and current new Minnesota Vikings punter, Zach Von Rosenberg. Great episode there. Check that out wherever you get your podcast. And we'll catch you next Monday on Big Screen Sports. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.